Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrives at episode 581, where Cronons work in mysterious ways. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's everybody How's doing? How's everyone feeling? Oh, physically I'm feeling good. Mentally it's been a bit of a drain recently, but... Well, you're ba- so you're back to feeling better physically, then. That's a good I sign. I am feeling, yes, feeling better physically. Um, the... Uh, Flu, not flu. I don't, I, it may have been the flu. It wasn't COVID. I tested, never had COVID, but I just got, you know, really, really bad uh, chest congestion and nasal congestion and a cough. And then that cough would not go away. In fact, I've still got the cough a little bit, but it wouldn't go away. And then it kind of rebounded on me over the weekend. And I was like, I just need to shake this thing. But I did finally, for the most part, like I said, got a little bit of that recurring cough. But other than that, I'm feeling well. We Our are family glad that you're is, better. Thank you. Yes, for sure. Our family is pretty much over the bug we had. Yeah. Uh, we were felled for a whole week going through all of us, uh, the stomach virus of some sort with everything that comes with that. You know, vomiting, diarrhea, and then a fever. That's what so. makes it rough when you've got a family, you know, because you kind of, you don't all just get it at once. You kind of get it in waves. So one yeah. person starts with it and then it just dominoes through everybody. Poor Liam on Friday last week just slept all day mm. and then still went to bed at a decent time. Well, sometimes... He was just so wiped out. Sometimes that's what you need, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he still had issues the next day. I kind of thought, okay, that's going to be the end of it. No, mm. unfortunately not. Yeah, that's too bad. But I think we're all over it now. Oh, good. Well, did you guys read or watch anything in the interim here? We've had a couple of weeks. John, you go first. Well, I am uh, working my way still uh, through Dresden number four and uh, enjoying it as much uh, as I have the others. Um, the audiobooks are just uh, so much fun. It's uh, James Marsters. Is that oh, his nice. name? Uh, no, not Marsters then. Um, <laughs> Marsden is Cyclops. Yeah, no, it is Marsters. Oh, Marsters. Oh, yeah, Spike. Yes. Uh, He apparently is the official voice of the Dresden books. He does all of the audio stuff. Uh, And he's great. He really kind of imbues him with just this, uh, you know, he does all the voices of the characters. And, just you know, he's having a grand time with it. It's a lot of fun to listen to. So I'm enjoying that. Uh, We got, uh, I was telling Glenn earlier that Mel and I are down to four of the best picture nominees oh, uh, nice. left to watch. Just uh, trying to carve three and a half hours out to knock out Scorsese's opus is uh, proving to be a bit of a challenge. Um, but uh, some really good ones out there. We also watched um, Robot Dreams, which is one of the uh, best animated uh, nominations. Guys, do not sleep on this movie. It was wonderful. Mm. So very good. And uh, there's no dialogue. Oh, wow. And it's it's about a dog who lives in New York City in the 80s. And he's very lonely. And so he builds himself a robot companion. And they pal around and have all kinds of adventures. And they're inseparable until they get separated. And then the story kicks in, so huh. I won't uh, I won't go any further. But it's 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 really good. In fact, I, I guess it says something for animation when you look at you know a year that's given us Nimona and uh, Across the Spider Verse and um, uh, Elemental and you know uh, the, some of these. This was a really really strong year in my mind for for animated films. Mm. And that this one that nobody heard of, honestly, might be the best one. It won't win, unfortunately. But yeah, I think <laughs> the boy in the heron is good, probably going to pick up the win on that. That's one. That's the one I haven't seen yet of those. So looking forward to trying to to get it in. We watched American Fiction with Jeffrey Wright, which was uh, really outstanding. Um, 
Anatomy of a Fall, which was not. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a true crime fan, you'll you'll like Corey really liked it. I, we, we were like, eh. Uh, and then I watched A Disturbance in the Force, how the Star Wars holiday special got <laughs> made. Isn't that happened. great? We, we talked a little bit about that the week that you were gone. I, that was one of the films mm-hmm. I watched that week. That was good. It just... I, each reveal was <laughs> more shocking and, you know, wow yeah. than, than the one before it. But I, what it really does well, if you've never seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, you'll watch this and go, they made that? <laughs> you know, if you have seen and experienced the Star Wars Holiday Special, this does a really great job of kind of putting a lens around that that time frame because you know star wars has come out it's a movie it's huge but it's not the public zeitgeist entity that it is today yeah and there's kind of a three-year gap where there was no star wars until empire came out and then cemented that this is a thing and so looking through that lens at that specific time frame, at what else was going on in the world of entertainment and TV and how Star Wars could tap into that or maybe shouldn't have tapped into that. But, I mean, it, it, it really kind of sets it up and it's like, oh. I think what it... He, yeah, go ahead. I think what it did for me is it validated a lot of the things that I thought. Because, I, I mean, you and I grew up the same era, but I was a, I was a TV junkie from the time I was like three years old. And all the way up to 70s and 80s. And so I used to watch variety TV. That's my folks watched on like Saturday evenings and Sunday evenings. And they were, I mean, you couldn't throw a dart at a TV guy without hitting somebody's variety show. And that's what I remember of TV of the, of the 70s. And so through that lens, I always, and I saw the Star Wars holiday special when it first ran. And so through that lens, I understood why the show was what it was. And you're right. The, the Star Wars was not the zeitgeist that it is now. And so for years and years and years, I heard people, I would listen to stories of people growing up discovering the Star Wars holiday special and talking about it and being in awe and wonder of, of how this even ever got made. And I kind of always knew. So I always felt like I understood it, but people didn't. And and as the mystery and the the fantasy around this whole thing grew, I kind of was remained more grounded. And so when this movie came around, it almost validated for me that this is this is what everybody that has come to the holiday special late or has just heard about it and it's become such a legend. This is what people need to watch to understand why. It yeah. was what it was and why why it formulated the way it was. Now, there were a lot of twists and turns, even for me, in, in surprises on why it failed so poorly or why it didn't have the oversight that it needed to be actually be a good show. But <laughs> I, I've understood all along why it was what it was, and I've always felt like I could never explain it to anybody else. And this movie does a good job of explaining it to people of what this was and why it was. <laughs> yeah. And when, when, when they go through and they kind of show you, here's samples of all of the variety shows mm-hmm. that are on in this time frame, And then they get to the Donnie and Marie show where they're doing dancing stormtroopers, mm-hmm. And there's a whole thing. And you're just like, this, this is a far greater sin against nature than the Star Wars Holiday Special. The Star Wars Holiday Special is game compared to the, the Donnie and Marie that, Star Wars And I special. remembered that live, too. I saw that when it um, happened. But you, you just get inundated with this, and they hit you with one after another after mm. another, and all of a sudden your brain goes, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 70s just really sucked for TV. That's but, kind of what it, it was. But it didn't. That's the thing is, that, and that's the thing that I, I don't think people understand is, if you didn't experience it, like I say, that was the yeah. thing. If you weren't one of those people that experienced it, then yeah, the seventies sucked when you look back at it, but it didn't because that's what everybody liked. That's what everybody that's was what everybody doing. Liked. And that's yep. what everybody wanted. And I remember enjoying those shows as a kid. I look back oh, on yeah. them and I see how corny they are compared to what were you know, the examples we're holding, holding them to today. But yeah, it's the seventies didn't suck. It's just, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And I was one of those fortunate that, that, kids that was exactly. there. <laughs> I was one of those fortunate kids that was there. <clears throat> I'm, 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 I always laugh whenever I see something that's, you know, a purportedly set in the 80s. Mm. And it's all day glow and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, th- this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh, that's nice. And then I go back and look at photos from the 80s, and I just kind of have forgotten how brown everything is. Well. You know, we we had wood paneling. We had ashtrays mm-hmm. at McDonald's. We had everything was brown. Well, the, 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 I think the problem that this runs into, and this this could be a whole other podcast, but I think the thing that runs into is there's, there's a bit of a, a, a bleed over. The late 70s into the early to mid 80s were kind of the same aesthetic. And it, we didn't hit the day glow and the big hair and the things like that until way late into the 80s. But for some reason, yeah. when we reminisce about the 80s, we fixate on the end of the decade rather than the whole decade as a whole. And you're yeah. right, because when we look back at the things we remember and experienced in the 80s, it is that coming of age era when we were young and you look at that and you go, oh, yeah, everything was brown. Everything was shades of orange and brown. And, yeah, like you said, brown paneling, brown carpet, brown shag carpet, you know. And shag that was, carpet. A lot of that was holdovers from the 70s, though. A lot of that started in the late 70s in the disco era and then, you know, blended into the 80s. So, no, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a there's a bit of a fan- fantasy when it comes to the nostalgia of the 80s, I believe. But yeah. Keith, you got to watch this documentary. Yeah, I'll have to. I'd like to get somebody's opinion that didn't grow up in that area and that has that has experienced it kind of from a distance because you you've seen the holiday special, right? Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. But so, yeah. but you've experienced, but you know, having you know being disconnected and just enough because you're about ten years younger than us, I think that would be interesting to hear from your perspective. I'll I'll try to get it on my docket. Anything else? Not on my end. What'd you do, Glenn? I did get a few movies in. We, uh, Sean, I did sort of lie. I we I did watch Oppenheimer. I got that one in. That was one of the. Oh, Oscars. good. What'd yeah. you think? I liked it. It was really good and and very, very well done. I think there were a lot of liberties taken with the story, but I think the the intense dramatic telling of it and the way they did it, it really suited it really well. Um, and then I watched. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Ooh, do tell. Robin and I went to um, see Madame oh. Webb on oh, Valentine's yeah. Day, <laughs> and my only my only review for that is Tony uh, Sony should throw in the towel. <laughs> that that thing's a mess. the The thing that I appreciated most about it was the concept and the idea were very cool and clever. Unfortunately, its demise is the execution and the acting and the poor ADR and the obvious we've we've completely edited this movie after we've shot this movie and we haven't edited it the way that it was supposed to, so we went back and we had to ADR some stuff in and we decided it's it's been the the whole movie you could tell was reorganized after and mm. it suffers from that greatly. Uh, D- uh, Dakota Johnson is just phoning it in. She's a good actress. I've seen her in other things. She can act, but she's phoning it in this. The only person in this movie that's really giving it their all is, uh, what's the actor that plays Ben Parker? Um, he was on Parks and Rec. Adam Scott. There you go. Adam Scott. He's the only one that I think really enjoyed being there. And so I enjoyed all of the scenes he was in. Unfortunately, they were so few and far between. And ultimately what it is, is it's a superhero movie without superheroes because the three girls that end up being uh, spider people are only spider people in preview. Like uh, so the, the, it sets up with the premise of the, 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 the main villain bad guy has these premonitions that these girls are going to break in and kill him. And so he's going to kill them first. That's that's the premise. And so Dakota Johnson's Madam Webb character uh, has Cassie Webb has to, she can see the future and she has to save them. That's the premise of the thing. She has to protect them through this whole movie is because they're, they're girls and they have not become the spider people yet. But the movie feels, the, the movie feels like a prequel that they made to a movie that already existed. That was really good. And then they decided to make a prequel that was really bad. 
And unfortunately, we don't get the actual movie that this is a prequel to. And unfortunately, because this thing is so bad, we'll never get that sequel that is necessary for this. So it, it, it's, it's unbearably bad. I don't know. Has anybody it's else seen it? Dread. <laughs> I've, I've, I've not. But the oh, headline worse. I saw about it is worse Madam Webb is the best superhero 2003 has to offer. <laughs> What's well, the other thing is it's set in 2003. And so is it? the yeah so the idea is is that well and it and really were, is a prequel then. yeah well there were a lot of things about this is they originally they were going to have this be in the Andrew Garfield universe and then Sony said nope no we can't do that and then Sony was toying with the idea of making this in the Tom Holland universe but technically you can't do that even though it would work better based on its placement in time but there's there's things that happen in this that don't can't connect it and then Sony has come out and said, no, this is in the, the Morbius Ver- Venom universe, which doesn't have a Spider-Man yet, except for <laughs> maybe it does. We don't know. So it doesn't know what it wants to be or where it wants to be either. That's another big problem. Because with Sony it. doesn't know either. Well, yeah, Sony needs to just quit. I'm really fearful. for. And here's the thing. I liked the Venom films. I liked both Venom films. I even liked... Morbius. I'm not. I I know people don't like it. I know people say it's a terrible movie. I see its flaws. I know where the problems are with it. But I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed the film. It was a fun film that had a few problems for me. If Morbius had for come me. out in 2003, it would have been yeah, awesome. exactly. <laughs> this film can't even redeem itself for me because it's just so bad. But here's the kicker. Wow. Robin loved it. She absolutely loved it. Really? Yeah, but she she also her favorite Spider-Man film is Spider The Amazing Spider-Man 2, so go figure. Really? Yeah, go figure. <laughs> Did you drop her on her head a lot? <laughs> <when she was laughs> maybe, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> um yeah, so and then the other thing I real quickly I watched was uh decided I wanted to go back and watch some of the Carry On movies and of course we watched Carry On Sergeant which is the first one. Uh so I watched the next one in line just going through them chronologically not for any reason but uh I watched Carry On Nurse which is kind of a fun um ensemble romp of a film that's really mostly a movie compiled of uh separate little character gags throughout the movie but it it, it, it all is all at once it works and so it, it's a lot of fun i really enjoyed it cool nice those are still I on my f- list <laughs> i finished a bunch of things i uh i finally finished season one of monarch legacy of monsters and what did you think i i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was great yay um, it kind of veers away and distracts itself from being a Godzilla show for a while, but I was okay to let it do its thing and just kind of go along for the ride. Cause it's not like the, the Monsterverse makes a lot of sense anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think considering it, 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 it tries to retcon the, the, you know, the hollow earth theory that's expounded everywhere. Well, else I think, in the sh- in I think that's what universe. I liked is that it, ki- I think it neatly kind of tied that, together a little better fixes everything yeah exactly it meshes i haven't seen i still haven't watched godzilla versus king kong yet but Mm. it seemed like it kind of saw well king of the monsters kind of made a mess let's clean it up a little yeah dude how have you not watched the best one of the bunch i'm trying to i was trying i was gonna and then glenn told me well you don't have to see that first so then i was like all right i'll go into Monarch. Right. Well, you don't because it's too far behind. You you don't have to. You you just should because it's the good movie. (laughs) When after I told you that, though, I got to the episode that was about the um, the computer geek gal, and realized that some of that was tying forward Uh, to King of Monsters and uh, Godzilla versus kong that so but but, but, it also tied forward to itself yeah exactly right that's just it and so i was a little i thought after i saw that episode i was like oh maybe i should have had keith watch the other one you know those the 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 film first but then uh yeah as you said it kind of tied forward to itself anyway then i was like okay no it was still okay we didn't need to now let me let me ask you this because (laughs) sean and i came came to this very late (laughs) the 
so um, I, I it's been so long since I watched it, but uh, Bill Randa. Bill Randa. Yeah, who plays John Goodman in Kong Skull Island? <laughs> okay. Jumped on that right away. A- answered yeah. answered Actually, my question. Actually, no, I did. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> I was I I was doing some research into you know they they had revealed the Hollow Earth stuff. I was like, well, doesn't this kind of contradict Godzilla King of the Monsters? So I went online and kind of went and looked. Is is this contradicting itself? And saw. Well, you know, Bill Rando and blah, 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 and saw it connect the dots for me. And then in the final episode, when they showed that clip of them watching, of of his son. Oh, okay. So you you came to it about the same time I did then. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think we all should have known that, but I didn't also freshen myself up on Godzilla. That's uh, just it. Skull King Skull, uh, Kong Skull Island. Yeah, so here's the kicker of that thing, though, is I had just watched that a few weeks before <laughs> I had watched this, started watching this, and they started off with Bill Randa throwing the... And it's actually John Goodman at that point. And so Which, I uh, I had no yeah. idea. They kept calling the other guy Bill Randa, but it never, never connected that they were the same guy, that it was just a younger version of him. It is a bit of a stretch to see him turn into John Goodman. That's true because the kid, the, the, the actors, the, kid, the, yeah. the, the young guy did a really good job, but I don't necessarily buy that he becomes John Goodman. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not like uh, uh, Wyatt Russell who looks exactly. a lot like his dad and is playing a younger version of him. And I, I, with that, I really liked how they kind of tiptoed around of, well, you know. I should be 90 years old and tease that throughout and then paid off on it <laughs> later in the season. Off, yeah. That was really well done. That was so clever. Yeah. Now I, I, I think we honestly, I, the, the jury was out for me for a long while on Wyatt Russell, because when he shows up in Falcon and winter soldier, not a fan. Now, admittedly he's playing an unlikable character. Yeah. So you're not supposed to like him. But I just wasn't a fan of him in general. It was just like, nah, I don't like this guy. Uh, and then suddenly he kind of exploded, and he was in everything that I watched. And he would show up, and it's like, oh, it's that Russell kid. I don't like him. But he kind of would win me over. You know, and we watched a, a Black Mirror episode that he's in that was really pretty good, and we watched something else. And then he shows up in this. And this is the perfect vehicle. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah. But- for the type I think of characters he plays. Yeah. Yeah. But I think tied to that is can we get the two of them together in everything from now on? Because this was <laughs> younger so in all the versions. Yeah. Cool to see that. It was so well done. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, in the first half of the season, the history stuff with him was more interesting than what was going on current day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Good good stuff. I I enjoyed that all the way to the end and i'm so looking forward to the next season yeah i really hope they do i don't know if they've officially announced it i i saw that apple hasn't officially greenlit it but the um the showrunner was talking was hinting around that it sounds like it's going to happen so nice nice yeah i'm glad you liked it yeah it was good i really enjoyed it i now go go watch godzilla versus kong It's it's on my list. I'm gonna go do that on short order, <laughs> uh, especially since you know the new one's coming out. Not that I'll go see it in the theater. Yeah, but... God, Godzilla loves Kong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although my my Gen Zers have, or yeah, my Gen Zers have um, assured me that the X doesn't always mean shipping. So. Oh, I get it. Yeah, it's so in some context, it's when somebody when when you're shipping two characters, it's so and so x so and so. But there's some nuance to that because it doesn't always mean that it's a love relationship. Sometimes it's a just together, so it's not necessarily a relationship, or or it's a relationship of a different part. I don't know. It's complicated. So <laughs> now, now I need a Facebook account it's, for it's, Godzilla and Kong. complicated (laughs) my kids assure me i wouldn't understand so i'll just take them at face value (laughs) it's a thing dad Uh, Mm -hmm. i also finished the marvel spider-man game which was really good Mm -hmm. one of 
one of the best Spider-Man stories I've experienced. That the the amount of effort and storytelling they put into it was so well done. Um, yeah, I'm now very disappointed that Spider-Man Two is only a PS5 game mm. because they set up a sequel. And I'm, yes, this was this game was so much fun and the story was so good that it made me want to move forward with it. But I can't. <laughs> Luckily, I can move forward with. The, they did a Spider-Man Miles Morales game. Which yeah, yeah, I've heard I that have started. Really good. So I technically still have the DLC to do in the first game, which, but the kids were really pushing me. Now, now you got to play Miles. Now you got to play Miles. So I went ahead and started <laughs> Miles, which <laughs> is really impressive. And the fact that they completely reworked almost everything about the game, as like the level up system, the the aesthetics of it. It's not just oh, it's the same exact like mechanics, but you're miles they the web the web swinging and the combat's still the same but everything else about it is completely different which is really clever and really well done that's cool yeah uh and then i finished a book and then read another book so the book i finished was really good called mickey seven it is kind of like a lighter tone version of moon if you ever saw that movie uh, if you haven't, I'm going to give you a little spoiler on it. I said it'd, um, it'd have to be a lighter version because I don't think you could go heavier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the description uh, that kind of caught my eye for it was it's the Martian meets multiplicity. And it's the idea is there are colony ships that go and land and try to terraform planets so humanity can expand. And they bring along what's called an expendable with them. So this is a guy that can go out and get himself killed but then they pull a new version of him out of the tank and he moves on hmm. with his memories and everything that, that happened before him. Oh. Assuming he uploaded recently. Well, that's horrific. Well, the crux of the book is <laughs> Mickey seven goes off. They think he dies. They pull Mickey eight out, but Mickey seven survives. Oh, that's even more horrific. <laughs> so they've got multiples running around, which is a big no, no. And they're trying to hide it while they're dealing with a whole, you know, uh, uh, planet that's trying to kill them <laughs> so the but the tone of it isn't like you know oppressive it mm. has that martian tone to it which is why they compare it to the martian so I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna ask a spoilery question that i'm not honestly sure i want the answer to okay how long after the initial discovery of the problem does it take before somebody the the solution is well, let's just kill Mickey Seven and get it over with. <laughs> Almost instant. It's it's okay. a conversation between the two of them. Which, which of us is going down the quote unquote corpse hole? The corpse hole. <laughs> because it's 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 an isolated environment, so they reuse literally everything. So they can take the bodies, reuse them, reconstitute them, and use them as food or other. You know, his next body. So it it's all about recycling. So they call what they put everything into the corpse hole. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. My my only nitpick with it was the ending was a little anticlimactic. However, he did write a follow-up, which I'm currently reading. So uh-huh. I, I'm kind of holding out judgment to see if that anticlimactic ending is kind of resolved in the in the second book. That's why you quickly started another book. <laughs> yeah, I was itching to start the other book, but one I've been waiting for um, became available for me. So I took a break in between the two of them. <laughs> a lot of that going around lately. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to... Because I, I, I it became available several times and I had to push it off, you know, because Libby allows you to do that. Um because I was in the, literally in the middle of another book. And this time it finally kind of lined up and I was able to do it. And this one, they need to adapt this into a movie as soon as possible. <laughs> it's called Starter Villain. And it's about this guy who inherits a supervillain company from his uncle. <laughs> so his uncle passes away and he discovers he's the heir to a giant supervillain company complete with a volcano layer <laughs> and i don't want to go into too much more detail into it other than that because there's a lot of really good twists and turns and a lot of surprises all the way through it that 
is great, plus a whole lot of humor. Mm. This is the movie that Argyle probably should have been, and I've not even seen Argyle. Mm. <laughs> because it's it's just, it's a spy thriller that's hilarious at the same time, and just takes the concept of supervillainy and kind of puts it on its head. It's so good. It's really, really good. We are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the Target novelizations and publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrence Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Podcast. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Khashki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. I listened to Ronnie Takes on the World Revenge of Wormwood and that's going to be my something new two minute review so this box set follows shortly off the heels of the last box set um, but this time it also nicely brings in Tommy Knights uh, to uh, to join the to join Ronnie and Clyde in their adventures uh, the first one it is, brings in who? Uh, yeah, it's the actor, Tom. I know. I, 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 I <laughs> blanked on his name. Luke. I, the character's name, Luke. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'd say our listeners are like, Tommy Knight. I don't remember Tommy Knight. <laughs> Who's Tommy Knight? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Luke. Uh, the first adventure, because the first adventure is a really cool kind of continuation of Ronnie with her podcast investigating stories. And she's got this listener that tells her that she's pretty sure there's a a time traveler uh, working in her post office. <laughs> and so she goes into investigates and... Luke, who's now working for UNIT, kind of interviews, and it becomes this really great story. And it um, it turns out to be a time traveler, but not in the way you think. And it's a celebrity time traveler, but it kind of doesn't go the direction you think it will, is going to. Hmm. Um, so it's it's a really, really well done, really good modern uh, Sarah Jane story. Hmm. Uh, the second one uh, goes into uh, somehow Ronnie and Clyde wind up three years in the future, and there is this app that's kind of taken over everybody and made everyone docile, and they have to investigate. So it's kind of one of those other world Sarah Jane stories that, on the surface, I think it would have made a better Doctor Who story, just because it's you know it's Ronnie and Clyde and it's what's going to happen in this story doesn't really matter because you know they're eventually going to go backward and fix it so it never comes to pass this way. That being said, the ideas and the concept behind it is is very good. Um, the last story uh, kind of brings everything to a head and ties everything together, which is set up of who is truly behind the time traveling and the future, the business, um, which no surprise is Wormwood and the Bane trying to come back. Uh, and it's a really cool story of her utilizing people's regrets to try to get herself out of the vortex. And it's got a really, really great moment between Ronnie and Clyde that almost takes you where you want to go, but doesn't get you there fully. And then, teases it so that they can revisit kind of their chemistry in the future. So overall, it's a very good box set and a great continuation to the Ronnie uh, stories that they've been doing. They all say who, who is Doctor Who? 
This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 13, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. All right, well, let's move on to news. Well, they're going to be putting out uh, some classic Doctor Who audio dramas in a podcast form from Big Finish coming in March. A weekly podcast will present stories in episodic installments released weekly, just like the original broadcast did back in the day. Uh... Each story is going to be introduced by Colin Baker. Um, and it's basically dipping into the back catalog of Big Finish's in, uh, output, starting with a the, the Death and the Queen, which is the Tenth Doctor and Donna Noble. Very cool. I think this is a really cool idea and a great way to expose more people to big finish especially if they don't want to necessarily spend the money to kind of listen to something they now have this this kind of free avenue to maybe then whet their appetite enough to go buy some stuff i would agree i think that the the cleverness of this is uh, big finish now has such a vast back catalog that they can use some of these older and even you know more recent titles because this one's not a super old story that they're starting with but they can use some of their back catalog as now sort of advertising by giving these weekly free samples of their stories of what they have and what they produce and maybe bringing more people to the fold that will then in turn maybe start buying some of the, the, the other stories that are either in the back catalog or new ones that come out. I think it's a, a brilliant move by Big Finish. It also gives a lot of people a chance that no, don't, can't necessarily afford these audios because they, the price point of these audios can be you know pretty hefty sometimes. Um, so it gives them a chance to also indulge in some of the extra Doctor Who that a lot of us have already been getting and uh, experiencing Doctor Who in a whole new way that you, you know is the same but also different from what the TV series is. I was initially disappointed by the choice, but then I thought about it, uh, uh, the choice of which one they were going to launch with, and I was like, oh, they're going David Tennant. And then I thought about it a little bit, of, well, yeah, of on the heels of the 60th. <laughs> yeah, that makes are. the most sense, give yeah. people more... Tenth Doctor and Donna Donna Noble. That's what people wanted so much in the, the 60th. Why not give them more of that? And that's gonna get, keep people to come back more than if they, you know, started with Sirens of Time, right. for example. Right. It's also a, it bridges the gap between the uh, new and the old uh, mm-hmm. guard. And I think that they're looking to bring some of the the younger and newer listeners into the fold as well. And I think this is the best way to do it because I think older classic fans are going to come to it anyway. Um, So this, this is a little more enticing for younger fans. I'm intrigued. Me too. I'll probably listen to it, even though I've listened to death and the queen. All right, well, let's move on to our reviews. Speaking of Big Finish, this week we are going back. Speaking of going back to uh, the old days, um, not necessarily going back to the old days, but going back to an old trio uh, that we haven't seen for a long time. We're going to be reviewing Doctor Who, the Suntarns versus Rutons 1.1, the battle for uh, Giant's Causeway. And this reintroduces, reintroduces us to. Kariz, although this obviously is taking place 
at the same time that the early Doctor, uh, Eighth Doctor stories were, were taking place. Did you say the title yet? I did. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, the war between the Santarans and the Rutans have been going on for a millennia, and it's likely to continue for a millennia more. A terrible conflict with no, consequ- no care or consequences for collateral damage. Billions have died with no end in sight. A temporal tidal wave leaves a Dr. Charlie and Cariz to the Giant's Causeway, Ireland, 55 BC, where the TARDIS strains power and they encounter Santarans who believe they're Roman legionnaires. What has caused this and what is the strange secret in the rocks? Bum, bum, bum. Go ahead, Sean. Um... I liked this. I wasn't, it, it's a fine starting point for a box set and it's wonderful to hear the, uh, the, the team TARDIS, uh, you know, back together. Um, I wasn't overly wowed by it. I think it's got some, some cool ideas. It, what's unfortunate about it is, you know, We've got a trio that we've not heard in 14, 15 years, and they get split up and not get to spend any time together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I think that was one of the thing, one of the problems that I had with it. Yeah. What were some of your other problems, Sean? Um, I, it, it is no secret that uh, Horror Fang Rock is one of my favorite Doctor Who stories. So I have a vested interest in the Rutons and finally getting more. It was like, yay! At any. I, I feel like we spent the majority of our time with the Santarans or the Santurians, which I caught <laughs> myself saying later in the week in a completely unrelated uh, a conversation with somebody about the Roman Empire. <laughs> Explain that one. Um, which, you know, admittedly, okay, the Santarans are funny and, you know, we're having a laugh at their expense and, oh, look, they're, you know, having this grand feast, which they don't digest. <laughs> and uh, One's in a bathtub. One's in a bathtub and one, one's riding a horse and, you know, yes, more of this. This is great. And yet the poor Rutans kind of get relegated to the back burner. And then we add in the fact that because of the nature of the plot and trying to make this um, emotional connection, it's Cariz that gets kind of relegated to the back burner as well. And so the Dr. And Charlie are off having fun and Dr. Charlie adventures and Cariz who, you know, setting this up as the, and, and, you know, this is on me. We're, we put this together as a Cariz archive. We're going to talk about Cariz. Cool. And he's not, really hear all that much he's Mm -hmm. kind of immaterial to the events at hand and if he hadn't been part of this particular story with team tardis uh, uh, there'd have been a little bit of information the doctor didn't have but he probably would have inferred it pretty quick once they show up so i I just kind of felt like it was a waste of his character i I, that sounds much more egregious than yeah i (laughs) I, I feel like i'm making it out to be worse than it was but I don't think, yeah, I, I, I think, I think they struck a pretty good balance of him with the Rutans and Charlie and the Doctor with the Santarans. I think what, what, what distracts you from the fact that Chris is getting as much time is Chris is in this situation where it's very confusing and somber and, and you know not intense. It's just furthering the story, and where you've got Charlie and the Doctor you know, ha- having a good time, having the, the adventure and with the funny Santarans. And so I think that's, that's why it feels like you get more doctor and careers or doctor and Charlie rather than careers. But I, I think if you go back and, and balance the time, I think it's pretty balanced, but I, I agree I, for the same concept that you don't feel like you get as much careers. I think my problem with this story is this story makes for a good eighth doctor Charlie and Korea's story that could easily have been slotted into 
the old adventures from the the monthly series when when they mm-hmm. were together it, it and had this been released 20 years ago 15 years ago when they were doing those stories i would have loved this story the problem that i have with this story is we're finally getting the Santarans and the Rutans. What does that epic battle, what is that like? What? Where does that launch? How does that get started? How does that, how do the seeds of this vast war between these two species start? And this is just an, an aside story. This is just a Rutan breeding ground and a temporal displacement. And it, for me, Which isn't I, explained. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I was very much set up ready for a Sontarans versus Rutans, and this is was just a side battle, really. And that that yeah. almost both sides don't even know. The Rutan initially does, but the, the Sontarans don't even know why the heck they're there. And so I that was why I was kind of let down because my expectations probably were higher than I should have made them. And like I say, it's not a bad story. It would have made a very good monthly story. But as the kickoff to this, uh, you know, ongoing saga that we're going to have in three parts this year or four parts this year, you know, this wasn't a good start for me. So I was a little disappointed with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I Now, I don't harbor any illusions. I never honestly thought we're going to get the origins of the, the conflict. That, that's, <laughs> no, I that, never did either. That, that's too lofty of a, a, an aspiration because it was kind of a throwaway idea and a, a tossed line uh, when, you know, the Rutan said it. And uh, so it's been this kind of mythical thing. And maybe eventually someday they'll go there. Uh, maybe later in this box set they'll go there. I could be very wrong. But I, I feel like I would be surprised. It's kind of like the time war. Like, I really didn't think we were going to get the time war. And then eventually we did get the time war. <laughs> but I think it'll I think it'll be a while before we get the Suntarn Rutan war. I hope I but hope I agree with you that this is I hope felt I like hope you're wrong. What it was. I hope you're wrong because the reason why my expectations were high is because when this box set was announced by Big Finish. That's sort of what they said was this was going to be, was we've always heard about this grand battle between the Sontarans and Rutans, and now we're going to explore that. That was I'm paraphrasing, but that was how they couched this when they announced this like last year. And so yeah, if if they don't not above a bait and switch, well, but if they don't follow through <laughs> with that because they've all but promised that, I think that I would be I'll be very disappointed because I I think and, that and we, that's we, their we intention. We are exploring the conflict. Yeah. There's conflict here between them, so we are exploring it. Yeah, and I it's think maybe it, not the origins of it. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think they've got to go there with that promise, or I'll be very upset. <laughs> Well, this is, of course, the first of uh, of yeah. said box. So, you know, as frequently as the case with these boxes, uh, episode three will probably bring it all together, and then we'll get a pointless fourth episode and just go why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm being a little pessimistic there. You, you keep calling it a box set. I wouldn't call it a box set. I think it's a series because it's it's releasing every month. It's not coming out as one box. <laughs> Oh, it's not one box. No, no, no. Well, eventually, be one box. Well, yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, no, it's <laughs> it's re- releasing monthly. So I would I'd say Does it's big a, finish. Do anything other than box it's sets. A, it's a point? it's a limited series. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, well, they the um, uh, what was the big event last year that we the we covered? Um, Once in future. Once in future was a limited series. Those were released monthly. Which they then put in a box, right? I don't know that they have released well, it. They haven't a box finished it yet. yet so. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. We still got to get Dakota. Dakota is this year. So. All right. I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did enjoy the story. Yeah. I, I don't want to sound like it was a bad story. I, my, my letdown was the fact that I expected more from it. But yeah, it was a good story. Like I say, it would, if, if I had listened to this 15 years ago as this story, I'd have been, oh, yeah, this is another great Dr. Uh, Charlie and Caritz story. Now, again, maybe this is something that will happen later, but for right now, 
I don't know that I see the need to set this in a happening simultaneously parallel time frame. Why couldn't we just have inserted the story back then and called it good? You know what I mean? Mm, I don't well, think I do. I don't understand either. Well, why why is it you said at the top that um, this is happening simultaneously with those events from previous. Well, it's not simul- it's it's not simultaneous. It's, it's happening at the same time. It yeah, it's it's squeezing it into it's, it's, the. It's not, oh, it is. It is just an insert. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, an insert. It's, an insert. Oh, okay. it's not like it's a yeah. parallel. I suppose si- simultaneous like was was the wrong. Okay, because that was my next question. Because I did not get that impression. No, no, I was I, trying I'm, to figure out what you listened to. No, I'm I sorry. Yeah, no, it it okay. it, it fits it fits in between some of the stories uh the earlier stories with these this crew like they have with the fifth doctor and and perry okay i'm with you yeah yeah Yeah. exactly exactly in fact that's a great (laughs) that's a great point big finish is now at the point with their own material that they're able to go back (laughs) and insert into their own stories rather than taking their new the new stuff and inserting it into where you know it would have fit in the TV series. They've done enough now that they have their own material they can do that with. Although yeah, I don't get... remember them giving us any references to when this is. So no, they, they really don't. Try too hard to insert it. In. Yeah, they really don't. I don't think you could probably even. There, there are no hints to no really kind of put a finite you know spot on it. In fact, I'll I'll be interested to see who we who the. Uh, where the complete adventures uh, decide to slot this. Well, we do know that it is um, at least somewhat very recent with that Chris coming out of his, uh, uh, what was the, the, the finale of that? Zagreus. Yeah. It's, it's out of uh, relatively recent after that. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't it, think it's the they, next adventure. In fact, they they subtly they subtly reference that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then something that we didn't uh, discover back when we were actually listening to the uh, Eighth Doctor Charlie and Chris stories was that there were a couple of um, short trips stories that when Big Finish was writing uh, short trips uh, short stories and publishing them in book form. There are a couple of stories called uh, Round Trip that were in the book. Um, oh, the books now escape my... <laughs> a Day in the Life. A Day in the Life, yeah. A day in the they, Life. They were both published in The Day in Life. Interestingly, it's the very first story of the anthology and the very last story of the anthology. Round There's Trip no Part 1, After Midnight, and Round Trip Part... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Round Trip Part 2, After Midnight, and Round Trip Part 1, Before Midnight. And yes, I read those in order. Um, yeah, we just launch into them since there really is no synopsis for these. This is one of those wibbly wobbly, timey wimey concepts that I think conceptually works in somebody's head, but maybe all of the pieces don't quite fall in place in execution. I Dang. think that I think it's yep. I think it's very well written from a story standpoint but as far as the parts of the puzzle fitting together nicely i think that's where it sort of falls down it's clever that we start the story in part two and in fact i quite enjoyed part two because while you were having to kind of discover what was happening here it really sort of was quite linear and so it does make sense as you invest yourself in the story and you find out that our heroes are actually inhabiting the bodies of these um, earth security guards and the bad guys inheriting the body of a burglar and breaking in to steal this thing and the uh, eventually our heroes sort of taking control of the situation and resolving it to a point but at the end they leave it vague enough that you're not quite sure what has happened and so you're excited to move on to the next story which is part one before midnight because you think you're going to get answers and while you do the story is so loosely convoluted 
that it's I struggled to follow along and figure out where things were and often had to go back and reread whole passages to make sure I understood how yeah. things fit together, especially when they passed the space-suited trio that they started feeling sick around. When I when they sort of reveal that how that crossed over with them and that hap, ha, actually happened to have been them, I had to go back and reread that in order to see if I had sort of missed clues that, that the author was laying there. And unfortunately, I don't feel like I missed any clues. I just think it was one of those clever thing. It's something that somebody thought they were being clever with, but maybe was being they ended up being a little too clever with it. And so I just found myself very, I don't want to say confused because I think I understood what was happening, but a lot of times it would, it just seemed very convoluted on how things were working out and, and, and supposedly advancing the story so that, you know, it, it worked with its previous part. Yeah. Part two after midnight was, I thought a nice self-contained story that I felt satisfied by the end of it. I didn't need more. They they defeated the bad guy. They were able to to kind of stop his, thwart him from stealing this MacGuffin uh, that would give him superpowers and travel through time. And Perfect. and, and, and that, even they went, they went about it in a different way, and that was yeah. And even locking him in the the vague uh, uh, time loop still even really kind of was resolved enough. Well, yeah, and it, it's a it's a nice self-contained little piece that you don't need much more than that to it, and then the other part expounds on it, but unfortunately relies on the crutch of well, the doctor does something very clever and gets them all out of it, yeah, and solves this problem without really ever diving into what the problem a the problem is or b how he gets them out of it. Instead, it tries to be clever in tying into what was set up in the first story as opposed to telling its own story and doing a good job of that. Yeah, you're right. You guys have really nailed this one on the head. Um, the, the the first one was, was okay, and it was relatively contained. It wasn't really elaborated on, but it didn't necessarily need to be elaborated on. The first part, which you read last, winds up being all the elaboration and then once you get it, you find out that, no, you really didn't need it because all of it wound up being uh, uh, kind of immaterial. Yeah, that's it true. Just, it almost felt like th th we wrote this story and then we went back and pulled parts of it mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. and left it kind of vague and confusing and then just put all those parts together in the second story to show, aha, look what we've done here. That's a good point, and yeah. So when I started reading it and we kind of get dropped in the middle and it's vague and confusing, but it's done on purpose. And I, I had to stop and go back and make sure that I was reading the right thing first <laughs> because you start with part two and that, that just seems weird. But part two is at the beginning of the book. It's like, okay, this is done on purpose. So immediately I'm on guard because I have <laughs> figured out the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we had read the whole book, this would have come across differently. But when you pull these two stories out and go, we're going to read part two and then read part one, there's a little part of my brain that goes, aha. <laughs> so I, I'm already on guard for, for the, the, the what a twist, you know? And you don't really get it in the first or well, in the in the in the second part, it's not really there. It's not until later when you get back to the first part and they kind of sort of show you how everything happened, and then you're left going, "Oh, but I don't really care." <laughs> and like you, Glenn, there was there were many segments that you know, the the confusion that did I miss something? <laughs> and I I kind of had gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm sure I missed something. I don't care to go back and look for it. <laughs> I'm just going to rely on the fact that you kind of sort of know what you're doing. I hesitate to say this, but honestly, eh, this reminded me of fan fiction. And to a certain extent, that's kind of what Big Finish does. <laughs> they, you know, they have a much higher production value on it. 
but they're bringing in former Doctor Who authors and uh, uh, you know, showrunners and things, and, and getting stories from them. And, and and Virgin is is kind of the same way. You know, well, what would story would you like to tell? And then they get it. This one though almost felt like, yeah, I guess I could knock something out over the weekend if you really needed some. We can bookend it, and yeah, okay, we'll do. It. I just it was all right. Mm-hmm. And technically, part two isn't part two. It's part 1.5. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And then there's that. (laughs) You can really tell that the two stories were written by different people. And I think had it been written by the same person, we would have different feelings about it. They were. They were both Andy Russell. No, not according to this. This uh, TARDIS wiki says part one was written by Rebecca Levine. Hmm. They must have it wrong because I'm I'm actually looking at the book itself and it says book claims is both yeah uh, the book says uh, round trip part two after midnight Andy Russell round trip part one before midnight Andy Russell Hmm. now unless they they know more and and he put his name on both or they put his name on both and it actually ended up being somebody else but maybe she ghost wrote it that's what I'm wondering maybe that came out later but the, the wiki doesn't say that though does it. Because no, I think I think if well, that was the case, um, yeah. I think if that was the case, the wiki probably would have um, expounded on that. But you're right; they do only credit him for the first one. Yeah, not a, not a fan of this one. And I think even more unfortunately, uh, for, for on our end, is it's kind of difficult to do a Kariz archive with. <laughs> Again, very little careers. Yeah. Very little careers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to be fair, we're reaching because there's not a lot of careers outside of those original stories that we listen to. So mm-hmm. it's it's careers in um, name only. Careers <laughs> in spirit. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think After Midnight, I enjoyed as a story it's not a great story but i enjoyed it and i i i think i see what you mean sean there's it really feels like sort of fan fiction um but this one maybe not so much as the as the second one and it's almost like the second one was written to justify things or or explain things that happened in the first one but were sort of unnecessary and i think when i decided that oh this is part two we're gonna go learn about how they got to here at that point, I was already thinking, I don't really care how they got to here because what they did here was enough and it sort of resolved itself. And yeah. so by going back now, it does try to get clever enough that it makes it an, and an, an invents a story that is maybe trying to be a little more interesting than how we got here but unfortunately, because they try to do that so hard, that I think is what makes it very confusing and convoluted. Yeah. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. Well, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, next up on the schedule, we're going to have a good old-fashioned... I've completely lost the name for what you would call that. <laughs> Panel discussion? <laughs> Panel discussion. A palaver. Sure, we'll palaver. Go there you go. Uh, we're uh, dreamcasting the Doctor and Companion. Who who, who, who do you want as your ultimate, uh, this is the guy or gal uh, that, that should play this, uh, this, this role? And I'm, I'm very curious to see what suggestions uh, my, my cohorts have come up with. So we'll 
uh, kind of step away from reviews and just uh, BS a little bit next week. Uh, and then we do get back into some reviews with Suntarans versus Rutans 1.2, the children of the future, and hopefully some more Kariz. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. 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 Whole another era. This will be the uh, third Doctor and Sarah Jane. Oh, well, okay. I, I live with the third Doctor and Sarah Jane. That's all right by me. We're you live with them? through the whole box set. You live with them? That's cool. I can, I can, I can live with them. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, I can. <laughs> Uh, and then a return to uh, Lethbridge Stewart Land with the Laughing Gnome, Lucy Wilson and the Bleedo Cadets by Tim Gramble. And then uh, an adversary archive, something else we haven't done in a long while, on the Axis. We'll do the Feast of Axos and the Golden Ones. So look for that coming soon. Yay, looking forward to that. You can find us on our website, travelingvortex.com. If you get any value out of this pod podcast, why not consider putting some value back? Well, I can't talk. And if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on our patron link on the website and support us there. Become a patron of this podcast and unlock other audios and specials from us. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to this podcast. Anything else we need to talk about before we close this episode? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.